Hi, everybody. It's Paula, and welcome back to this week's edition of the Journeys of Faith podcast. So my guest this week is a teacher, he's a pastor, and a prolific author. Max Licato has written 40 books, and he has sold 100 million copies and counting. In this episode, he's going to open up about his younger years. He says that he was a disaster waiting to happen. He was a converted drunk. He was disrespectful of women, a self-described mess. And Locato is also one of the few pastors who has dipped his toe into the political waters, as rough as they may be. He's had some strong words about President Trump. So we'll dive into that uncomfortable area where faith and politics collide. Here's Max Locato in his own words on this week's edition of the Journeys of Faith podcast. He is a teacher. He's a missionary, a pastor, and one of the more prolific authors of our time. Max Licato, welcome to Thank the you. podcast. Thank you. You have written now your 40th book, exactly. Unshakable Hope, which we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about in a little bit. And you've sold, what, 100 million uh, copies quite, quite of your few. books? Yeah, yeah. And it's crazy to think that when you were submitting your first book, the first it was rejected by exactly. 14 publishers, yeah. your first manuscript. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I got 14 rejections. This That was back in the 80s, and um, like you mentioned, I, I was a missionary for a time in Brazil. I was right. living in Brazil at the time. I had no clue how you submit a manuscript, and <laughs> and so I had um, a small library of books myself, and I just went and got addresses out of those books and began uh, sending the manuscript to the addresses in those books, and Got yeah, like I say, fourteen rejections. Four, did you keep but all I, I those did, rejection did, letters? Yeah, I do. Just, I do. You still I have do. Them? Yeah, one publisher has it framed. Oh, I love it. <laughs> just a little motivation, right? But you never know. You know. Yeah, yeah. You have helped so many other people in their faith journeys, but I want to talk about yours. Okay, so you got this book out, Unshakable Hope: Building Our Lives on the Promises of God, and in the foreword, you write that you say, "quote To think that God would let a converted drunk." prone to self-promotion and self-centeredness, write one page, much less 40 books <laughs> worth, is yet a testament to his goodness and grace. I want to dig into that journey of being yeah. a converted drunk. But first and foremost, when people ask you what you believe, how do you respond? I believe that uh, God's grace is enough and that he's coming back. Simple as that? Simple as that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I God's love that. God's grace is enough and that he's coming back, that the best is yet to be. It really is. You say that you were a converted drunk. Mm-hmm. So you you this happened early yeah. in your life when you were a teenager, but you write so much about getting the spiritually wrecked out and into their promised land and out of their situation. When were you stuck and how did you get out? Yeah. Um, you know, by the by the time I was uh, in in my early 20s, uh, I, I was a just a disaster waiting to happen. I, I really was. How so? no, I was a very heavy drinker. I was uh, I was very self promoting. I, I was all about you know who's who. Every every relationship was how can they help me? Uh, I was uh, I was uh, disrespectful of women. I was uh, uh, dishonest. Mm-hmm. It, it was just a mess. I was a mess. I I, I think I was on a trajectory to. Uh, to make a lot of money because I've always been I've always been kind of a salesman sort or I was especially back then and so I got got into think found things that I could sell and I've started making a lot of money but I think I would have crashed and burned mm-hmm. I, I I probably 
been through three or four marriages by now. If really? if any woman had put up with me <laughs> long enough to say I do, it was. A, but but my big issue was drinking. I I, I would drink a six pack just about um, every, every night on the weekend and oftentimes during the week. And so it it was. Uh, I was really headed toward an addiction issue. Were you an alcoholic? In, um, no, not really. In the sense that when I decided to. Uh, when when God got a hold of my heart, mm-hmm. that that was not an issue. I didn't have to go through any treatment uh, to to stop drinking. So, uh, but I think I come from a family of alcoholics, and so I, my brother, uh, struggled with alcoholism his whole life, and so probably I would have developed a more serious addiction. Your dad didn't allow alcohol in the home. How right? did you know that? I did a little reading <laughs> research. It's my job. Went back into the archives. Yeah, but your dad didn't allow alcohol. You would have loved my dad. My dad was just the most delightful person, but he was raised in a in a by a father who was an alcoholic, and then he had several siblings who battled alcohol. So he just made a rule that in his family there would be none. And so it was a great disappointment to him when my brother and I, uh, my brother was kicked out of three different schools for drinking. Uh, I was found drunk on the side of the road more than once. Wow. And so it was rough on him. It was rough. How did you get out of that phase? Yeah. Well, um, okay, so my <laughs> when I was a senior in high school, uh, my, all of my friends were going to either the university. I grew up in Texas, so all of my friends either went to the University of Texas, Texas A&M, or Texas Tech, everything with the Texas uh-huh. in it. My dad said, okay, you can go to one of those schools, but you'll pay your own tuition. Uh, if you go to uh, the school called Abilene Christian University, I'll pay your tuition. Oh, uh, he, there you go. He, he, I may be dumb but not stupid. Uh-huh. You know, I thought, well, okay, I'll go there. Uh, and, and he knew they had required Bible classes and required chapel, and and he knew I needed help, and uh, and so that's what happened. I, I began going to these Bible, uh, New Testament one hundred and one, Old Testament one hundred and one, and uh, sitting in in the back of the class, two three hundred kids in the class, big classes. But little by little, I began uh, developing a, a fascination with the story of Christ. And, really, it really. Hey, but you were still living a pretty hard I was lifestyle. Still, yeah. You still. My fresh oh, very partying. much so, yeah, and yeah. running with a bad crowd. And, and I would imagine it was probably taboo on campus. It was, it was, but we found our ways yeah, to work did. around it. Yeah. Yeah. You get out of that situation. Would you say that that was rock bottom for you? It was. It it, it was. Uh, the The thing that I, I struggled with was uh, when it came to the to the life of Christ, um, I, I didn't have any problem believing that that he rose from the dead. I really didn't. Early on, I read the C.S. Lewis book, and mm-hmm. it talks about, you know, if the, if the body's not in the tomb, where was it? And, and, and that, that little simple apologetic that says, well, did the Jews take the body? Did the Romans take the body? Did the disciples take the body? How come nobody could produce the body? Yeah. Well, that made sense to me. I thought, okay, I can, I can at least hang my hat on that. Uh-huh. It's still crazy to think that somebody rose from the dead. But if he did, then I'm, I, what I couldn't believe is that the man who rose from the dead would forgive a jerk like me after the mess I'd made out of my life. Mm-hmm. And so that's why grace uh, came to, to be the, the, the page turner for me. Right. I, if he, if, I didn't have a plan B. If he couldn't forgive me, then I, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And, and it really came down to that. And, and so uh, finally, uh, toward the end of my second year in college, uh, through a conversation with a dear man, he, he said, you know, you either trust him to forgive you or not. And so that forgiveness took root, 
And and that, that's why I really believe I'm a, I'm a forgiven sinner. I don't just say that. I'm a forgiven sinner. Do you um, have there been moments along the way where you have questioned your faith? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Even to this day. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. The, the absurdity of it all strikes us, I think, every mm-hmm. so often. You mean we're believing in a man who lived 2,000 years ago and we're believing what he said is not just somebody's ideas, but it's the word of God. How do you, you know, so I, I, I have to work through that every, every so often. And how do you work through it? Well, somewhat like what I said about the resurrection. Uh, uh, I, I think the core question is, uh, is the tomb empty? Is the Easter promise real? As somebody said, if if the tomb is empty, our hope is not. Uh, and so, I faith is you know about ninety percent for me, maybe maybe even eighty percent of of knowledge. But I I take a pretty big leap of faith. You know, I say, okay, uh, I believe in Christ because of the way He lived, because of the resurrection, and because Plan B stinks. I don't like the other option. Mm-hmm. I really don't. You know, a, a secular mindset, I think, sucks hope out of people's lives. And and hope is hard enough to find anyway. Yeah. And so uh, uh, I, I keep coming back to the empty tomb. Some of the, the criticism that I receive and people in the Christian circles or people of faith in general, whether they're Jewish or Muslim, is that the only reason that they hold on to their faith is because they can't face reality. They need something to hold on to. Do you ever do you ever get that sort of criticism? I, I do, and I say, is that bad? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's wrong with acknowledging that none of us asked to be on this planet? Mm-hmm. None of us have an absolute certainty of what happens after we leave this planet. We all ended up here trying to figure it out. We didn't pick the body we got stuck with. We didn't pick the uh, DNA that we were born with. I mean, it's it's kind of an odd thing. Mm-hmm. And so why not acknowledge that we need a little help? I have to admit, when I start thinking about eternity, my brain hurts, and I get a little scared. Is that normal? <laughs> I can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get bored. It's beyond. It it's really beyond. is. I know. Yeah. It's that, that yeah. you know, now we see through a glass dimly, and then we'll see face-to-face, and it'll all make sense. Yeah. Um, so... As a pastor, you you have shepherded thousands, you, uh, countless people. But who shepherds you? Who counsels you? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, through the years, it's been different people. Uh, early on, there was a, 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 I went through a training, a, a pastoral training program in St. Louis, Missouri, and there was a gentleman there that. Uh, uh, became more like a father to me than than the trainer of the program, and then then later on, uh, a, a gentleman who pastored a church that I attended in college. I stayed I stay in touch with him to this day, and I think if I was uh, really passing through a tough time, I'd I'd contact him. I have a couple of good friends. Uh, my wife is a lot more spiritually mature than I am. She really is, uh, and uh, she's a delight. She's she's just Denilin, a delight. Am I saying uh-huh. right? Yeah, I have a lot of friends who are pastors and they say the temptation uh, the highest the higher the calling the hotter the heat oh how wow. how what is it like to be a pastor i mean how much temptation truly is there out there do you feel like you're constantly under attack I, I, it's hard to be able to say i feel more than someone else because i can't be in somebody else's skin you mm-hmm. know um I, I do know that that uh, statistically for every person who begins a uh, ministry career or ministry calling only out of for every 10 only one retires as a minister 
Uh, You're kidding. Yeah. yeah. So so if if ten so nine so out if of ten, ten seminarians set out and uh-huh. say I'm going to be a pastor uh, by retirement age, uh, only one will still be in the ministry. Why do you think that is? <sighs> Two or three reasons. Uh, it's a it's a difficult work to measure success. You know, when do you know if it's a successful work? Uh, you know, if I would have stuck to to selling cars or something, I say, okay, I know I had a good year because of the because. But but when do you know if you've done a good job? And and truth of the matter is, there's most pastors are pastoring churches of a hundred people, one hundred and fifty, one hundred and twenty, and so they're slugging it out. And yet they they uh, get on television and they see these pastors of ten thousand member churches and and they think, man, am I really making a difference? And so it, it's it's a tough thing because success is difficult to measure. And how many, uh, you're a pastor in San Antonio at Oak Hills Church. You've been there since 1988. Yeah. How many attend your church? Usually about 8,000. Okay. Yeah. So it's but, a good size. Started off at about 400. Right. And so I, I know, you know, smaller church to a larger church. You take a little pride in that. I read in um, Christianity Today, you said that you wrestle with pride. So oh, oh, how how has oh, that struggle manifested itself, oh, especially when you look at the success of your church? I mean, yeah, I got a text from a a younger. Everybody's younger than I am now. I'm I'm about to be sixty four. Um, there's a younger pastor in San Antonio of a, of quite a, quite a large church, and but I stay in touch with him a lot. And he kind of he now I'm the guy he calls, and so he called me about two months ago, and he said my attendance has been dipping this last month. Yeah. And I'm discouraged. Should I be? <laughs> I said, isn't that right? I mean, you can do the best you can do. And who knows why somebody doesn't show up or why 500 people don't show up. So it's a battle. It, it is. It, so you begin to take pride in, a, you know, when you have all these people coming. Mm-hmm. You got, I think as pastors, we got to be very, very careful. I mean, oh, boy. It's, um, yeah, you, you can embarrass the church quickly. You How really so? can um, by believing you are a reverend or believing you are a pastor. The, the title in and of itself is enough to set you up, uh, and and then any type of um, moral failure or, or financial uh, embarrassment on the church. Uh, there, there's a lot at stake. You know, there's a lot at stake, and uh, I, I wish that uh, people would go to Christ uh, and not consider we who say we follow Him, but they everybody we. They're they're looking at our lives to see if it really, really and they're matters. holding you to a different standard, yeah, and you're yeah. just as fallible yeah, and imperfect yeah. and and mortal as the rest <laughs> of us. Even more so, even more so. Yeah. And I believe in a real devil. I know many people don't. In fact, one of the, some statistics I came across recently say most in your most, book, yeah, yeah, say most people don't. I do. I just think there's a an ungod out there mm-hmm. uh, stirring up evil, and he likes to pick down pastors and. And so I, uh, I know, of course, I know a lot of them. I pray for them, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of headed toward uh, uh, retirement myself. I'm going to start preaching about halftime. How old did you say? I'm, I'll be 64 next time. 64. Yeah, I'm getting close. You're in great shape. You bike. What? You think so? You bike a lot every week. I eat a lot of hamburgers. That's all right. You and can malts. eat the hamburger. <laughs> well, you live in Texas. I do ride my bike. Okay. I'll, I'll, you stay in shape. You I treat the body to. as a temple. Uh, I could do better. Oh, I could I, do we better. all could do better in that department. <laughs> Coming up after the break, Lakato talks about the role of the church in 2019. If I were to ask you for one word to describe your faith, what would it be? Mm. I'll give you two words just because I'm generous today. 
Uh, I think I'd say legit. Okay. I, I I really do believe. I really do, and I and I can't. Uh, I, I, if anybody did not believe, and they looked at me across the table and said, convinced me to believe, I'd, I'd say I don't. I can't convince you. But in my life, I've really uh, thought it through, and I have found that that following Jesus Christ is the best decision. I love being a Christian. I really do. I can see. I, I really do. I just think the idea of waking up with the promise of a new heaven, uh, be, the fact of, of God living inside of me, uh, uh, being able to discover things about uh, uh, forgiveness, tell people good news. There's so much bad news, you know, going on these days. Uh, to tell somebody you can really have hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love that. Yeah, conversely, where do you think you would be without your faith? Oh, a mess. Yeah. Yeah. I I um I would have grown very cynical. I would have tried to cram as much pleasure as possible into my short amount of years on earth only to realize that all the pleasure in the world is is empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, let's talk a little bit about the book. I mentioned it earlier. It's called Unshakable Hope: Building Our Lives on the Promises of God. You write that uh the Bible is quote chock full of ordinary troubled people who believe the promises of God even as their lives were rocked by cha- by change, rather. And you said the heroes of the Bible came from all walks of life. It, do you consider yourself ordinary? Oh, if there's even a less than ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was a B-minus student in college. Uh, I, uh, I finished high school okay, you know, I, I but never, you know, picked as the most likely mm-hmm. to, to do anything. Uh, unusual, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a you're really. Or, I, I I don't perceive myself as a great uh, writer or and as yet a great you theologian. Just wrote your 40th yeah, well, book. well, some people go for quality. I just go for quantity. So wait, so you don't <laughs> consider yourself a great writer? You just wrote your 40th book. I you're also reportedly introverted and shy, and yet you speak yeah. in front of thousands. It's, yeah, who would have thought? That weird. Uh, doesn't make sense. Yeah, this is your calling. Yeah. Because I yeah. guess maybe you have to rely on something bigger than yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, page 21, I love this. This stuck out to me of the book. You said, would you let this truth define the way you see other people? Quote, every person you see was created by God to bear his image and deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. This means all people deserve to be seen for who they are, image bearers of God. That really just resounded with me because I don't think, especially in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in where we don't know how to have respectful discourse with, with one another, who do you think yeah. needs to hear that right now? I, I think I think that uh, the evangelical community could do better about sharing convictions uh, compassionately. Give me an example. With, with the gay community. Okay. Uh, with people with whom— a person might disagree regarding immigration. Um, those are the first two that, that come into my mind. It's rare to sit and it's just rare to sit and sense an honest dialogue uh, that is born out of "I really regard you as a great human being." Now we we disagree on this topic, but even if we don't change each other's minds, I'm going to continue to regard you as a talented person as a person made by God, known by God, cared for by God, even if you don't believe in God. That, I'm going to see you that. made in the image. Made in the image of God. Yeah. Made in the image of God. So that means that every person I see bears in them something of God.
And so I'm not real proud of of our when I say our of evangelical leaders' track record lately, because I think we we tend to come across as smug, and 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 are if is self righteous. How do you write that wrong? Because there yeah. are large communities that feel that you know they have their backs have been turned and they haven't felt that love and that compassion. They haven't been treated as if they were born in the image of God. So how do you how does the Christian community write that wrong while still holding, holding to, to a particular their, their standard and convictions? Um, I, I think we really need people like you, <laughs> you know, talented people who uh, gifted people and people positioned in these circles. You know, we pastors we tend to get isolated, and we pastors could do better, but we need people like you, and then we need. We need thousands and thousands of uh, over-the-coffee-cup conversations. That, that's really where it's going to happen. You know, if, if 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 I would be willing to do better at reaching out to the person who's different than I am and say, let's just talk. You tell me your story. I'd love to hear it. I know you don't get very political. You you said a couple of things during the uh, the campaign that Trump failed the decency test, and then uh, you told NPR in March— of the the election 2016 you said i wouldn't have said anything about mr trump if he didn't call himself a christian i'd be none it'd be none of my business whatsoever to make any comments about his language but i was deeply troubled i and there's that here's a man who holds up a bible one day and calls a lady a bimbo the next he calls himself a christian so i have to ask you because the administration in the in the moment that we're in it's such a polarizing time what is the role of the church right now in this political climate. I feel that Christians, uh, people of all walks of faith, are are drawn to one particular side and we're getting very political. What do you think the role of the church specifically is right now in this moment? From my perspective, the, the best thing that we can do is do what we do best, and that is hold up the life of Christ. Um the um, the tendency in in this day and age the the concern I have is that is that people like to uh, uh, g- use the evangelical endorsement uh, and consequently the the non-believer says okay a Christian is a person who sees women that way or a Christian because of a certain political figure. Uh, calling himself an, a, a Christian, and then when he behaves a certain way. Uh, I, I struggle with this because uh, one of my daughters, uh, dear, my daughter knows people who said, okay, I won't be a Christian because that person calls himself a Christian and they treat women that way. Yeah. Yeah. It ruins it for, for a lot of us. It, it does. It does. It's it, it, it's like a step backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh I wish you hadn't asked me the question, what should the church do? Because I struggle with that. I, I, don't I really mean, do. I, I just wanted to ask you because you said that he, that Trump fails the decency test. And I'm just from your perspective, you're a pastor and a shepherd and you've been a missionary and an author. And I know you try to keep politics out of it. Like, what do you advise? What do you what do you think the role of the church is right now? It's such a it's an ugly time. And it people, is. It, people, honestly, it's. This is not going to go down in the history of the United States as one of our one of our prettier moments. What if what if we um, took seriously? Okay, so so the 
So the Bible, the New Testament, was written in a time of uh, polarization. Uh, the, the New Testament believers uh, were held in, in disrepute, by, disrepute by most of society. So, so maybe we could come at it from the angle of, okay, if the Apostle Paul were alive today, if Jesus were alive today, what would they be telling us? What letters, kind of letters would and they be writing? what would that be? Well, do you know there's about, don't test me on that, I think 57 one another passages in the Bible. Uh, love one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, encourage one another. What if, what if our strategy became not to be perceived as the group that's right, but to be perceived as a group that really cares about one another, about that really put into practice the one another's, the the commands of of, of scripture, uh, that 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 we excelled at that, and and rather than be perceived as the people who who stand off to the side and yell, get in a yelling match. These yelling matches, you're right, they're not mm-hmm. getting us anywhere. Not get, they're they're just getting worse and worse and worse, and with a proliferation of increasing amounts of news media opportunities right there's only more and more people yelling right what we need it seems to me is a good quantity a good quorum of people who'll say you know what i'm just gonna do my best to respect people to hold people in high regard honor them uh as 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 image bearers of god and whether we agree or disagree we're gonna we're gonna realize we're sharing the same planet and we're gonna try to figure this out lead with love our uh, one of the pastors from hillsong where my husband and i go carl lentz he said Instead of telling people what you're against, why don't you tell mm. them what you're for? There you go. You also told Christianity Today from that same article that I read back in 2004. You said, <laughs> if I can leave behind 50 books and one or two of them are really strong, I'll be grateful. So you've got 10 to go. Ten. <laughs> so if what are the one or two books that are really strong in your estimation? What are your favorite books? Yeah, you know, written? my the favorite book in, in, of the ones I've written is a, is a children's book. It's called Your Special. And uh, it's a story about uh, uh, these people, these wooden people who live in this little town called Wemmicksville. And everybody in the village goes around putting stars and dots on each other. If you're good, you get a star. If you're bad, you get a dot. And so there's one character named Punchinello who gets so many dots that people come up and just give him a dot because he looks like he needs another dot. And he's all discouraged. And uh, and that, that to me mirrors kind of a core issue in our society i mean you know you're good i like you i'm gonna give you a star you're not good I'm, i don't like you i'm gonna give you a dot mm-hmm. well he meets one character uh punchinello does who has neither stars nor dots and he can't figure out how she does that uh, her name is lucia and so the story is all about how she uh is able to find us we would call it a self-esteem and a view of herself that doesn't depend upon people's approval or isn't rocked by people's disapproval. And so that's that's the whole story. Uh, so I wrote that years and years ago. I mean, golly, it's, it's 20, 25 years ago. And that little book has gone all over the world. Right. I love it. I, and it, it's not a religious book per se. You know, it doesn't talk about God. or doesn't talk about scriptures. Uh, but it's, it's I, I think that's my favorite that's book. That's your favorite book? It's a children's <laughs> book. Yeah. Kid at Heart. How many more books do you have in you? Ooh. I know you. your goal is one a year. Right. Yeah, that's what I've always done. Yeah, I think as long as I feel like the idea is fresh and good uh, and gets me excited when I start talking about it, uh-huh. I'll keep writing. You're, I think one of your editor, editors once said that 
there are more book ideas than we have time. You, well, there's you a, have, you know, so have many a lot of ideas. ideas. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're if they're good ideas. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing a book just starting, and I'm such a neophyte in this area. So, do you have any advice for me? Oh, I can't wait to read it. <laughs> I'm sure it'll get rejected comes, by 15 well, publishers. When it comes out, can I come here and interview you? I'll let you. How about, <laughs> yes, I would love that. And then maybe you could write a little endorsement You'll, on the back You can for count me. on that. that you can awesome. count on that. All right. I hope you will. Max Licato, thank you so much. Congratulations on your new book, Unshakable Hope, your 40th book, mm. 100 million copies, yeah. and soaring. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, you're a pro. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Journeys of Faith podcast. A big thanks to you for subscribing, for rating. If you haven't done either of those things, we'd really appreciate it if you did. Again, uh, we are nothing without your support. Spread the word. We appreciate your support this season and last season as well. And I'm really appreciative of the team here at ABC Radio. Susie Liu, Lewis Millman, Mike Dubusky, Brianna Montalvo, Josh Cohan, and Andrew Kalb.